Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Data Protection Tea Break podcast. In today's episode, we're hearing from Callie Loveridge and Aaron Lenori of the States of Guernsey, who we've invited to the podcast as part of Project Bijou. Callie is Head of Data Protection and Aaron is a Data Protection Officer. Project Bijou is a social initiative we launched in the Bailiwick of Guernsey in May 2021. With this project, we're encouraging everyone to share stories, knowledge and experiences relating to ethical data use in a way that benefits everyone. The project aims to support and nurture positive cultural change around how people and organisations treat people's data. We hope to engage people on a cultural level, a level that goes beyond law. So back to today's episode. You know that data protection applies to all organisations across the bailiwick of Guernsey, but how does this apply to our government? In this episode, Callie and Aaron discuss their roles in the machinery of government and the challenges associated with ensuring public administration is carried out in accordance with the data protection law. They also answer some questions we, the ODPA, posed. Let's hear what they have to say. Hello and welcome to this podcast for Project Bijou. My name's Callie Loveridge and I'm the Head of Data Protection for the States of Guernsey. I'm joined today by Aaron Lenori, who's part of my team. Hi everyone, thank you for having me. So as part of Project Bijou, the ODPA posed a number of questions to us in relation to working within data protection in a government organisation. So to provide some context, I thought I would start by explaining a little bit about my team and what we do. At the moment, there is eight of us, myself and seven operational data protection officers. Each of those data protection officers has a responsibility for a different committee area or multiple committee areas. And the reason that we're structured that way is because each committee within the States of Guernsey is a data protection controller in their own right. So as you'll be aware, the law requires a data protection officer to be available to provide independent advice and the structure that we currently have we feel best serves an organisation of our size. For those that aren't aware, the States of Guernsey is both the uh, local and central government in Guernsey. We employ about 5,000 staff and we service about 80 controllers at last count. So it's a big job. As I mentioned, there are a number of questions that the ODPA opposed to us, and so the intention is for Aaron and I to have quite open conversation as part of this podcast about what life is like for us on a day-to-day basis and what we feel our responsibilities are when we work in these kind of roles in government. So as you would expect, from a government perspective, our responsibilities are slightly different from normal private sector companies in the sense that we process the data of every single resident that lives on the island. And those residents don't have a choice in the fact that we process their data. So it might be very straightforward things like income tax um, or it might be things more like social security and benefits and other healthcare provisions may also be in relation to law enforcement. And so our remit is very vast. When it comes to our responsibilities as a team, we feel that it's important to hold ourselves to a very high standard. And that's because, like I mentioned, people don't have a choice but to provide us with their data. So unlike a private sector body where you may engage in a contract with them and you pay for a service if you then became unhappy with the way that they process data you could easily end that contract 
They could provide you with compensation if they misused your data. But from a government perspective, that's not possible. And so it's really, really important that day-to-day operations, we very much consider how we're processing personal data, what we're doing with that personal data, and also how we're advising our customers of, of the use of their personal data. I'm also very conscious of some of the moral obligations. Aaron, would you like to expand on this? Yes, so as you've touched on, there are a number of different responsibilities that the states of Guernsey have across the relevant committee areas and controllers that we support. But it's important that we don't only focus on the legal responsibility and how the government have to comply with the data protection law, but also the moral responsibilities that we have in protecting the personal data we process. I think when you're looking at it from the perspective of a data protection officer, it's very easy to become bogged down in the legislation, focusing on the black and white of what the law says, whereas actually focusing more on the impact our processing has on individuals and what we need to do in order to protect their rights and freedoms. It can be more of a challenge to balance those two while still meeting the needs of the environment around us and the society that we are responsible for supporting. As the government, we obviously have to lead by example in such a small community. It's important that the people at the most senior positions across the island being in government are the ones that are taking the approach to make sure we're doing the right things in terms of data protection and not making those mistakes or doing anything which we shouldn't be. I think that's a really key point from my perspective is I would like us to lead by example. So in my interactions with the various business sectors on the island, I often have conversations with people about the things that we're doing internally in the hope that that will cascade out wider to the community and so that businesses can take some of those lessons and we can learn from each other. I think one of the challenges which we do have in data protection, especially being part of the government, is that, as you've said, with benefits and income tax, people don't have a choice in the fact that we process their data. We have to in order to provide them with their services. And that can make certain parts of our role quite challenging, where we might have people contacting us asking for their information to be deleted, whereas a private sector company offering a service may be able to do that. We can't delete someone's personal information held by income tax because we have an obligation to process that information. So it can be very difficult to balance the rights of every person on the island along with the needs of the island to support a sustainable community. And also the legal obligations that fall out of other laws. So quite often we find ourselves in a situation where the data protection law may well be competing with another piece of legislation, whether that be the income tax law or legislation related to law enforcement and the um, detection, prevention, investigation of crime. And so what we need to do is make sure that we are balancing and applying the proportionality tests within the law um, a lot of people will come, come to me with questions and say, well, surely this law trumps the data protection law. And what we try to do is apply the moral standards that you've touched on, Aaron, um, but also apply the other pieces of legislation and see whether we can actually find a balance that caters for both pieces of legislation. And unfortunately, in some cases, the other law might well win out. And we do have an obligation, first and foremost, to comply with that piece of legislation. And that's where the proportionality test is so important. And I think it's a good point that you touch on there on how the legislation itself can both assist and make our lives more difficult working within government and data protection. That 
a lot of companies may use consent as a lawful basis in order to process personal data and they may use legitimate interests. But as a government, we can't frequently rely on those lawful bases in order to process data because we don't have the benefit of consent unless we're running a public consultation, for example, that there's always an obligation for us to have that data. And sometimes that legislation can provide the gateway for doing so. But sometimes the legislation also provides a blocker against us doing that. So it is always necessary to do the research, really look into the specific laws that support certain processing and come up with the right answers rather than pitting different pieces of law against each other to come up with a solution. And the consent issue is a really important topic and something that we could probably do a whole other podcast on, particularly under the old legislation there was a heavy reliance on consent because it was, because it was deemed to be easy in a way to, to gain people's consent, but also it opened a, a very accessible gateway to, to process and share personal data. But actually, from a public administration and government perspective, consent is one of the ones that we struggle with the most to rely on because consent comes with additional rights. And so an individual has the ability to remove that consent as easily as they've given that consent. And so if we're using it for everyday public administration tasks, the reality is that individuals can't remove their consent when we've started that processing. And so for us, consent is a last resort lawful basis. It is certainly not one that we would use um, routinely if, if we can avoid it. And whilst providing consent for personal data to be processed, it's not always necessarily the, the thing that we rely upon. So an individual may happily provide their data in order to make a claim with benefits to receive financial support. But just because they're happy for us to process that data doesn't mean that they're consenting to what we're doing. Because if we then have to challenge that information or potentially push back on their request, they can then withdraw their consent and we don't have that basis for holding the information. So there has to be something that we can use in order to keep our records accurate without having gaps where someone may then withdraw their consent. A really interesting um, conversation around consent was had when we came to processing data for our response to the COVID pandemic. Quite often there's a confusion between medical consent and data protection consent, and they're very distinct concepts. So while somebody may give medical consent to have a COVID test, Actually, the processing of personal data that sits behind that falls within a public health lawful basis because we need that personal data. And so throughout the COVID process, the data protection team have been very active in ensuring that firstly, we're separating out the medical processes from the data protection processes, but also that we're putting in place everything from a data protection perspective to ensure that our residents' data is secure throughout this as best as it possibly can be. And so if any of you have had time to go onto the gov.gg website and had a look at the the COVID resources, you will see that there's specific areas around how your personal data is processed in response to COVID. We're always updating the fair processing notice in relation to that because understandably, the processes keep changing as we keep getting better at responding to things like this. I must say that the the COVID pandemic posed um, a very interesting challenge for the data protection team. Because of the the way that the pandemic hit, nobody could plan for it. Obviously, there was a lot of, of us working in the background to support the various business areas as quickly as possible. 
which meant in some cases working till ridiculous hours of the night, getting work and data protection impact assessments rolled out within 12 hours when those processes can usually take weeks to, to pull together. And in some cases, depending on the size of the project, months. And under any other normal circumstance, if COVID had been a project in and of itself, the work that we'd done to support that probably would have taken months. But instead, we were having to, to get through it and roll it out within, within a matter of hours. Um, but it's all provided brilliant lessons for us as a team and how we respond to those kind of things and pulling together to make sure that every area of the business is supported whether that be public health whether that be the IT solutions that sit behind it whether that be those businesses that needed to get financial support from employment and social security so many different elements pulled together that we needed to make sure that we were supporting. It's definitely something which has proved to be a challenge with the whole Covid pandemic and our response to that as a government and I think it goes back to the balancing our responsibilities as a government, but also maintaining our compliance with those protections. So where we may, I've spoken to a number of colleagues outside of the states of Guernsey who often say that sometimes data protection can be seen to be the thing that prevents things from happening or slows things down. And during that period of the first lockdown and during the start of the vaccination programme, we had to do things very quickly in order to respond to what was happening around us, both internally and externally to the bailiwick. And it was important that we did the things that we needed to in order to comply with the law without stopping things from happening in order to protect the people that live on the island and in the surrounding islands of the bailiwick. So it is always good to have those relationships with our controllers so that as soon as something happens, we're made aware we have the response time to be able to put something in place without it being at the last minute, which thankfully we, we have been able to do throughout the whole process. And you mentioned a really interesting point about people thinking that data protection can be a blocker to organisational development or change processes, or in some cases, just business as usual. And one of the key things that myself and the team try to do when we go out and provide training to all of our different areas is explain that it's not a blocker. The reality is that a data protection officer is not there to say no. A data protection officer is there to provide independent and impartial advice. Sometimes that advice might be that what you're trying to do and how the way you're trying to achieve it is quite difficult and there might be other options that are more straightforward and, and more easily compliant with the law. But ultimately, we are there to support and ensure that things can happen whilst also protecting personal data. And that's why the GDPR introduced privacy by design. Previously to that, we'd never thought about building data protection in from the very first thought of a new project. And now we do. And yes, sometimes we need to remind controllers of that, like people, like data protection officers will have to do in every organisation. But the reality is that our organisation is in a place now where they know exactly where they are, they know exactly where to get hold of us, they know they can contact us whenever they need to, and they will raise conversations with us that sometimes are not even relevant to personal data, but they want to check with us before they proceed any further to make sure that they're building in everything that they need to from the get-go. It is something that will stick with me for hopefully the whole time that I am a data protection officer because I think it reminds me of the role that we're here to undertake is one of the first meetings I had with someone in the States of Guernsey when I began in this role, I walked into the room and I remember them saying to me, oh, you're just the 21st century equivalent of a health and safety officer. And I remember laughing and saying to them, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to stop you from doing things you want to. I'm just here to help make sure you do it the right way. And that is something that I would say to everyone that works in data protection, that if you do get 
get pushback or people say to you that you're making things difficult. It isn't that we're making things difficult because we're actually making life easier further down the line. If we get it right at the start, like Callie said, with the privacy by design, we prevent those things needing to be changed later when it could cost more or take more effort to amend them. And it's also things like data protection impact assessments. When we first implemented those, Of course, you have a lot of conversations with people that say, well, where do I build that into my processes? Is that an additional level of bureaucracy, more paperwork? And um, actually, the feedback since we've implemented that across the organisation has been incredibly positive with people regularly saying that it meant from the very beginning that they were able to understand what data they were using, what the flow of data looked like and what they were actually trying to achieve at the end of it. And so... Whilst we don't always get complimented every day, um, some of the best compliments that we've had have, have been in seeing people build that into their processes and engage with us more proactively. We are a very well-established team and obviously that has helped us to learn very quickly and get to grips with what we need to do in order to comply with the law. But I think it's always something which we've encouraged people to be aware of in the states of Guernsey, at least that we're all learning. Like, whilst data protection has been in place for a number of years in Guernsey, it's only been since the 2017 law came into place that people have really started to take notice of what we need to do and to start proactively trying to comply with those requirements. And we are still learning. There are things which I learn every every day that I'm not necessarily in relation to data protection, in relation to IT and digital solutions, but we're always learning and it's an ever-changing environment around us that we have to keep moving in order to be able to keep up with it. I think one of the key elements for us is that our customers can't vote with their feet. So if they're unhappy with the way that we've done something, how do we go about addressing that as an organisation? Because like I mentioned earlier on, you can't just leave being involved with the states of Guernsey you can't just walk away and say that's it I'm done unless of course you wanted to leave the jurisdiction which is an entirely different matter and I think one of the things for us in responding to that is about organizational transparency transparency in an organization the size of the states of Guernsey can be particularly challenging what I have seen over the decade that I've been working in the states of Guernsey is a real move towards proactive transparency. So making sure that we are providing more information to people than is perhaps necessary, but so that it gives people the power to understand what's going on and also ask us questions. So data protection officers can quite often be seen as a a backroom officer that doesn't really have a lot of contact with the public. But that's not the case for for me and the team at all. I mean, we're quite often contacted directly by members of the public. I'm quite often contacted directly by different businesses on the island. And what we've tried to do is make the processes under the new law as simple as possible. So if you go to the gov.gg website, you will see um, online forms that you can submit subject access requests through and other data data right um, requests. They come directly to to the team and we can very quickly respond to those. And what we're trying to do is enhance people's knowledge through some of this this work on our digital platforms. Um, Also, at the bottom of every single form, whether it be paper form or online form, you will find a fair processing notice that will point you in the direction of a lot more information if you want that or less information if that's what you want. 
people are very mindful of our obligations and making sure that people buy in really and understand that we're we're doing the best that we possibly can um and the transparency objective is further supported by our access to public information um, codes and the fact that individuals can put requests in for information that falls outside of the data protection law and again from a data protection perspective I'm involved in colleagues who work on the API side of things to ensure that we are day-to-day thinking about being more transparent and doing the best that we can in that area. Um, I know from an operational perspective you you deal with a lot of customers who perhaps come to us quite disgruntled um, but my understanding is kind of overseeing the team is that the majority of people actually leave dealing with the team much happier than when they'd originally come to us. Yes I would, I'd completely agree with that I think it's something which we always try to do being that impartial advisor to the controller to give them a different view but also an impartial party that the data subjects and members of the public can come to us if they do have queries or concerns about the way in which their data has been processed and when they're submitting a subject access request it can sometimes be beneficial to have an independent party that they can voice their concerns with and if they have any specific complaints about the way their data is being processed we can take that up with the controller in a way which means that they don't have to relive the stress which they may be going through due to that process and we can help them to act upon their rights but also to come to a resolution and I think from my perspective personally I don't think I've had any instances where I've dealt with anyone who's left unhappy or less happy than they were when they came to us and we always do try to do everything we can obviously within the bounds of the law that governs what we do it can be sometimes difficult to act on exactly what someone wants us to do like we were saying earlier if someone wants their data to be deleted we can try to help them but there are circumstances in which we can't do that and it's just a case of making it clear to them that we have tried and we have been as helpful as we can but actually it's not something we're doing to be difficult we are just complying with our own rights and obligations as a controller as well as a person and i think a really good example of that would be a criminal record so there are cases where an individual might apply to have something removed from their criminal record now obviously depending on the period etc it may be inappropriate for that information to be removed. And sometimes it's a case of explaining to the data subject that whilst we understand their concerns and we can certainly put a note on their file to express what they they feel about something or to um, challenge it if they don't feel that it's entirely accurate, in some cases that information does need to remain. Um, So it's it's a very interesting dynamic within the team that we're predominantly there to provide advice to our controllers but we also deal day-to-day with the data subjects and and seeing the fallout of what bad processing might have done to a data subject and the effect that it might have had on their life and that's another interesting um, consideration from a from government and states of Guernsey perspective in that if you're unhappy with the way your personal data has been processed by a private company, for instance, a, a communications company or um, a provider of your mobile phone contract, it's very unlikely that the processing of that personal data might have an actual impact on you day to day, except that you may not be able to use your mobile phone for a period of time or that kind of thing. But from a government perspective, there can be real serious implications that fall outside of Um, how the data has been processed and that have a real impact on on that individual and so 
again as a team it's something that we're very conscious of to make sure that people can explain exactly to us what has happened so that we can then go away and make sure that where we can learn from any mistakes we put in place processes to fix that and ensure that it doesn't happen again and that's another area of where our transparency comes in you know we have previously released media statements that have explained where things may have gone a little bit awry not through anybody doing anything on purpose and also explain the processes that we've put in place to ensure that they don't happen again and those are the kind of things that we proactively monitor yeah and there are certain processes that whilst they may not appear high risk on the face value of what they are and what we may have done wrong they can still have a detrimental impact on someone so for example if I don't know, one of the schools was to send out an email to all parents and they accidentally sent it by normal copy rather than blind copy. Yes, generally, those email addresses wouldn't necessarily have a detrimental impact on the individuals who they belong to. However, if, say, one of the recipients was in minded to start contacting someone and maybe they had a restraining order against an individual that then puts that individual at risk of being contacted and potentially causing them additional stress and anxiety over the use of their data. So even the most minor of breaches can have a detrimental impact on an individual. It isn't always a case of, well, it's not special category data, so how big can the risk be? Or it's not financial information, so it's not as high risk. Even the most minor of pieces of information could have quite a significant impact on our customers as government. And that's why over the last few years, since the new law came into place, we've developed a a breach scoring system that takes into account all of those kind of factors. Because quite often you'll have a conversation with somebody and explain the breach, and like you said, they might not think it's very serious. But when you start working through those kind of elements, you can see that the risk is higher than what might have originally been thought. In saying that, It's not always doom and gloom, and sometimes we deal with things that are a lot more light-hearted. For instance, the Bailiwick Bat survey um, and and things like that 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 come in completely unannounced and make us all laugh and give us a little bit of joviality of a day, which is very nice. Um, But yeah, there there are a lot of things to think about when it comes to being a data protection officer in any sector. And I think the interesting part for us, and I hope the, the rest of the team agree, is that From a government perspective, you never know what's going to come in day by day. You don't know who you're going to necessarily be dealing with and you don't know the kind of things that you might be asked to advise on. So it's certainly an interesting, interesting role. One of the questions posed by the ODPA was about explaining how I select members of the data protection team, which is an interesting question and made me laugh when I read it. Um, The reality is that it it's a real challenge and the data protection team has been through a few iterations to date for various reasons. Um, The reality is that when I'm appointing a data protection officer, I'm generally starting from a point of it's unlikely that I'm going to find anybody with real experience working as a data protection officer, given that under the old legislation, there wasn't a legal requirement to have them. So they didn't really exist. So As far as I'm aware, I kind of go in with my eyes wide open in that I'm unlikely to find anybody that's got experience. However, there are a lot of people out there, contrary to popular belief, that are actually interested in data protection. And so that's a really good place to start. Um, And I'm looking for people that have got first and foremost technical ability. So working around legislation and working to a, a law 
is quite challenging in itself and it requires a certain type of person to be able to do that. But in addition to that, I'm looking for people with very strong ethics and that fundamentally believe in the rights that the data protection law affords to individuals. Without that, it's my belief that it doesn't matter how strong your technical ability, if you don't have the strong ethics, it's very, very difficult to be a data protection officer because you need both. And that's the reason why the data protection team has evolved over the years, because finding those people is not straightforward. A lot of people will say to me, oh, well, isn't it just a compliance job? And isn't it just this? And isn't it just that? Um, Which is slightly offensive to jobs in other areas of compliance. (laughs) Um, But actually, it's about being invested in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. A lot of the data that we see can be quite disturbing. I've myself dealt with cases, historic sexual abuse cases, for instance, where the information that you've seen can be quite distressing and you go home at the end of the day and you are carrying that on your shoulders. And so another key element for me is making sure that the team get on very well, trust each other as colleagues, but also as as human beings at a fundamental level and that we can have a laugh with each other and break up some of the seriousness of our day-to-day So, for instance, only last week there was a a debate amongst the team about the difference between a sausage sandwich and a hot dog, um, which actually left me pondering, after I'd finished that conversation, where the sausage roll fits into that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's important that we have those outside-of-normal work conversations and light-hearted moments, because otherwise we would all leave feeling a little bit downtrodden um, and that you're constantly trying to push uphill um Aaron what's your day-to-day for a data protection officer what's it like I think it's it's always an ever-changing picture um no two days are the same that's for sure you come home from a week of work on a Friday and if you look back at what you've done over the week there is a an expansive range of tasks that you've completed but I think it's one thing that you can't complain of is there's not a lack of diversity of the different things you get involved in. So obviously we all have different roles for each officer within the team and the committee areas we support are slightly different on a day-to-day basis. But some of the projects that we get involved in can be very difficult to get to grips with when you're fresh in, fresh eyes, not having been involved previously. Um, but every day you you do get more involved in those processes And there will be things which come out of the blue. I remember in December having to advise on what we called the COVID carol service, which was where our comms team were hoping to put together some videos of people singing jingle bells that were approximately the same time as people needed to wash their hands for during COVID. And I remember seeing the subject line of that email and thinking, well, this is something lighthearted to sort of end the week on. But there are things like that that you never expect to be advising on because of the seriousness of what we do, but there are elements of the role which are more lighthearted and they are more enjoyable. You combine that with being able to help individuals and really make a difference to what people's ideologies of the states of Guernsey is and what they think we do, that it is nice to be able to finish your working day and think that you've made a difference to somebody on the island rather than going home and looking back at your day and thinking, what did I do to make a difference today? I think that's one of the key things for our team is that 
we genuinely all feel like we make a difference. And there's been a seismic shift in the states of Guernsey around people's attitude towards data protection. And my hope is that with the introduction of the GDPR, whether people love it or loathe it, is that that would have happened for a lot of organisations and a lot of jurisdictions. Previously, data protection was seen as very boring, something that people didn't want to do, and also, frustratingly, part of IT. The reality is, it couldn't be further from IT if you tried. Data protection is a human subject. It is not a digital device-based subject. And so quite often I have conversations with colleagues that work in the areas of digital and IT, and I'm bringing to them the, okay, I understand why you're trying to do that, but what does the human have to do in this? Because that's the bit that I'm most concerned about, first and foremost. Later on in the process, we'll get to understand the data flows and what's actually going on from a digital perspective in the background, which of course we also need to understand. But first and foremost, we're here to represent the human So how is the human going to be affected by that? And that makes it incredibly interesting because you can't ever predict human behaviour in reality. And so whilst we think something might happen, when we actually speak to people, it can be completely different and we haven't seen it coming at all. We were also asked to talk about some of the positive outcomes that we've seen in the organisation. From my perspective, having joined the States of Guernsey and just told to do data protection for the states of Guernsey. We've come such a long way, and I think we don't often look back at our achievements, and being asked to do this podcast and mine and Aaron's preparation before it was quite enlightening at some of the the things that we've done that we've never taken stock of. Um, But the reality is that we provide comprehensive training to the whole organisation. So... I know that a very high percentage of every single people, of all the people employed by the States of Guernsey, have completed data protection e-learning, which is a module that we designed ourselves as a team um, to talk about the GDPR and what the new law in Guernsey looked like. And so that's a massive shift from where we were five years ago. On top of that, as a team, we go out and we do face-to-face training to, to areas And they invite us to come along. Initially, we had to force ourselves into those situations, but now we don't. People will contact us and say, I've got a few new members of staff or I've got staff and I'd like to do refresher training. Can you come along and do that? And that's something that I never saw happening quite so quickly. There are also things around the fact that we produce newsletters now and people actually seem to look forward to receiving them. So that belief people always say to me oh how come you work in data protection it's not sexy it's not interesting actually there are more people that are interested in it if you actually ask them and I think people are are aware of it's a very tough job but it's also incredibly rewarding and I think the fact that I see daily people having conversations about data protection is one of the best things from my perspective in determining our success as a team. And sometimes people will contact us, like I mentioned earlier, about something that they're doing that has absolutely no ramifications on personal data at all. But the very fact that they've had that thought is us doing our job properly. 
and it it is something that we've had to fight for it's not something that's necessarily been given to us that like you've said we've had to force our way into areas in order to provide that face-to-face training to make sure people are aware of what they need to do but also we have a high level of trust in a lot of the controllers across the organization they do have that faith that the advice we're giving them is accurate and that we are helping them but i remember when i started in the states there was murmurings of data protection before the law came into into place in 2018 but there wasn't an active support network of a team. And since that team has been put in place, the amount of people that come to us on a daily basis just with a quick question or just to ask us whether or not what they're doing is right or if they need to change something, it shows the steps that we've taken as our reasonably small team of eight people to really grow and help that environment of data protection to grow across the organisation rather than it being us all on our own trying to get that voice and the voice of the people we support and represent across the organisation. I think one of my questions for you, Aaron, is, is it what you were expecting when you joined the team? Definitely not. If you told me when I left school even that four or five years later I'd be working in data protection, I I wouldn't have believed you. I probably wouldn't have even known what data protection was at the time. (laughs) So, um, But when you join the team, you do think it's a very law-based subject and that wasn't necessarily something which put me off but you're conscious of the challenges that brings especially given the size of the piece of legislation we work to but those challenges like you've said they do bring their rewards and actually being able to go into a room and know that you're trusted and know that you're the person people will come to for that advice is rewarding in itself to be able to know that you're slowly becoming the person that people do believe that people will go to both internally to the organisation and externally that we have a couple of individual members of the public that will come to us if they need help and I think that does show the steps we've taken as a team. Another question because I'll always take the opportunity to plug for people to get into data protection <laughs> because from my perspective it's it's only ever going to get bigger and I also think that it's a, a an area that You could never get um, a robot to do the job of a data protection officer, so we should be pretty safe. Um, What advice would you give to somebody that would be interested in becoming a data protection officer? I would say don't let your lack of experience in the field put you off applying. Um, When I applied for the role that I'm in now, I had no experience of data protection and it was a leap of faith, really, and you took the leap of faith in giving me the chance to to take that role on. Well, you actually put off applying the first time because (laughs) you were so worried. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, But having now had the chance to learn that role, I would say that it's something that you are constantly learning and no matter what environment you're coming from, you will always have something to bring to the role that our team has come from a number of different backgrounds. Admittedly, we do have a couple of people that have a similar background, but we all have different experiences and having that team where everyone brings something different to the table really does benefit the way that we look at certain queries and projects that we're working on. And like you said, it it's never going to go away. Data protection is here to stay and being able to be the people that are really pushing it forwards for the next few years at least is something that I think everyone would be right to get involved in at this stage. Absolutely. I'm very conscious of time and the fact that I was given a very strict deadline of 10 minutes for this podcast and I'm pretty certain that Aaron and I have waffled on much longer than 10 minutes. Um, So I will end it here. 
for this one. Who knows, the ODPA might invite us back for one of their Tea Time podcasts in the future. Um, but thank you very much for listening, and I hope that this was helpful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to Callie and Aaron for that in-depth look at their roles, and thank you for listening to this special edition of the podcast. There are lots of other episodes you can explore via odpa.gg forward slash podcasts, and if you're interested in finding out more about Project Bijou, head over to odpa.gg forward slash bijou. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.